In order to get ahead, you have to be seen. But for some, being seen is harder than you might think. Welcome to Episode 80 of This Shit Works. I am your host, Julie Brown, and today I am joined by Janet Cafadar, a coach's coach working with women of color, helping them find the courage to be visible. This episode is sponsored by Nickerson, a full-service branding, marketing, PR, and communications agency with team members in Boston, Los Angeles, Miami, and New York City. Visit them at NickersonCOS.com. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. An American Bar Association Commission on Women in the Profession found that women of color experience a veritable double whammy of gender and race. Unlike white women or even men of color who only have one of these characteristics to overcome, gender or race. Women of color may face exclusion from informal networks, inadequate institutional support, and challenges to their authority and credibility. They often feel isolated and alienated, sometimes even from other women. According to McKinsey, white women hold only 19% of C-suite positions, but women of color hold only 4% of them. Currently, there are no African-American women leading a Fortune 500 company. This same study found that in the field of science, close to 50% of Black and Latina scientists were routinely mistaken for janitorial or administrative staff. This is why campaigns like The More You See Her, launched by NBC Universal in 2020, are so very important for women of color. Because so often people who look like them are not visible in positions of authority and power. This is why I have asked Janet Cafadar to join us all the way from Australia. Because we need to have these conversations, not just here on this podcast, but in all of our places of business. Janet, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I love that beautiful intro. That's really, uh, just really speaks so much to the work that I do and recognizing even more. Like, I know that every day, but it's so important. So important. So thank you. You're welcome. You decided to be a visibility coach after you had your own struggles with mm. being seen and putting yourself out there. Can you tell us a little bit about what you struggled with and then how you overcame that? Yeah, sure. So my biggest struggle was really, um, it wasn't the determination that was missing. That wasn't the thing that was missing for me. I live in Australia. I'm a black woman myself, originally from London. And really, there's not that many Black people here in Australia whatsoever. That's not the issue. But it was more so recognizing, actually, I want to start a business. And I want to start a business, this is like almost eight years ago now. No one looks like me. No one sounds like me. Okay, that's fine. I still got the support I needed, still was able to move forward, still got through it. But it's only really in the last three years that I've recognized that I was still hiding a lot of the time, still really scared to fully show up, you know, still scared to really put myself out there and recognizing that there really wasn't anyone out there that was representing me. It, um, unless it's like, I don't know, 
Serena Williams or Michelle Obama. Like, uh, that's great, but no one like a regular chick <laughs> like me, you know, that mm-hmm. I could look up to that was really forging a path ahead for me. And I recognized, and so with that, then I was just like, I've got to, I've, I have got to step up, right? I've got to step up. And with doing that same research, like you read there, recognizing that there's so much more to it. There's a reason why there aren't as many successful coaches out there. And I recognize that these ladies can support our community, especially the black community to really help them, help them, right? Right across the board. Um, but there's no one, there's no representation out there where they can see that. So that's, that's my, yeah, that's really how I've kind of moved forward with it. So you realized there's, there's no one who looks like me or sounds like me. There's no black women with English accents in Australia, doing, you know, <laughs> yeah. but so there's something to say for, okay, I recognize this. I should change this, but what are, what did you do to make those changes? Cause you, you don't go from recognizing it to changing it in one step. So oh, yeah. what were your hurdles getting over you, maybe your own insecurities about putting yourself out there? Because even I have, I'm, I'm a white woman in America and I still have a hard time putting my face and my voice out there because I'm afraid of, you know, I don't know, just people won't like, well, I don't know. It's, yeah. like, yes. it's hard. It's hard. It's so hard. what were like, did you do little baby steps or would you were you like whole hog? I'm going in. No, no, it was baby steps, baby steps all the way. It was like, you know, when you've got a thread on your t-shirt and you literally like, you pull at it a little bit like, oh, damn, I really should leave that alone, right? That's the, that's the one of the things that I should really leave that alone because if I pull at it, like it's all going to come out. Mm-hmm. And it was that kind of, that kind of thing. I would leave it for a little bit and have the thought of like, oh, you know, I'm scared. I don't want to put my ass self out there. Way back when at the very beginning of my journey, it was more like, what will my coworkers think? What mm-hmm. will... What will people say? What my family think about me? Who am I to do this? All of the judgment, which all women, right, suffer with yeah. and come up against. But it was those small shifts and recognizing that that's happening, but then also recognizing that actually I'm here to help, right? And recognizing that whatever I'm feeling is bigger than me. And I think that was the thing that helped push me forward. So when I would have those moments of like, out or who am I to do this I can't do this this shit's hard oh my god you know all of those moments where you're like you literally just want to either chuck the computer out the window or you literally want to curl up in a ball recognizing that actually there's someone out there that needs me right now yep that's either having some sort of moment a breakdown an emotional one whatever it is that person is in that state of mind mm-hmm. so I need to speak up now and be visible for them now so that when they find me that message or whatever it is will land for them right and I think that was the biggest shift for me removing myself from the equation because we can be all caught up in our feelings oh my god it's all about me oh. <laughs> you know like <laughs> but actually when I realized when I really had to think about it's not about me Mm -hmm. it's about really stepping up to be there for my community and being there for my ladies in your working with women of color helping them be more visible 
Is there a number one thing that holds women of color back from being visible or are there a Mm. number of things? There's a number of different things, but one of the things that does come up is when my clients who are coaches stepping up to be coaches and step into that, right? They've already gone through the protocol. They're all the certifications. But the biggest thing that I see is either some sort of past experience or past trauma or uh, a work situation or something that happened in their life that then shows up and actually stops them from being visible. For example, I have a client, I had a client, we were having our coaching call and she said, oh, I'm really scared to put my freebie out there. I know it'll really help. And she's kind of just going around the houses a little bit. I was like, mm, what's going on there? And so we had you know, deeper conversation. And so she said that actually she's scared to put it out there. She's scared to put, the, put her freebie out there because when she used to be a hairstylist, um, her boss would always say to her, oh, there you go selling again. And that same story, was playing in her head now when she's coming up to, to be a coach and put herself out there to serve her clients. That same story was repeating again and again and stopping her from being visible. So it's almost if you pull back the layers as to why you suddenly hate social media or I don't want to put myself out there, there's something underneath it that's connected to a past experience, a past trauma, yeah. or whatever it is that's helping you tell that story but almost always that's the thing and we have to get to the bottom of that first and then acknowledge that that's there and then it makes it easier how do you tease that out how do you tease out what is stopping someone from doing something Mm. so most of the time it's um recognize it's most the the blanket there's always like a blanket um phrase or term or something that's used i hate social media right or I don't like being on Facebook. I think every single one of my clients has said that. Yeah. All of them have said that. I don't like social media. I don't like being on social media because it's just, there's too much I have to do, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, if you think about it, why do you hate it? What is it that you hate about it? You know, these are some of the questions you know, the listeners can ask themselves. Why do you hate it? What's the, uh, is it the platform that you don't like? Is it the... Is it, is it Instagram that you don't like? Is it all the work that you have to do? Is it actually because you don't feel clear on who it is that you're serving? Do you feel like you're putting stuff out there and nothing's coming up? Nothing's coming back. Then that maybe means you're not actually clear on who you're serving. Right. Do you even like the audience, the people that you're serving? Like, unless you'd like, it goes, goes deeper and deeper. Like, let's literally dig, dig, dig. If you don't like showing up in this way, was there something that is connected to when you were younger and experienced a time when you weren't allowed to say what you wanted to or share an opinion or, or literally it's like an onion. You just need to keep going mm-hmm. deeper. And it helps sometimes if it's someone else asking you the questions, it's a bit hard to kind of do it on your own, but you can get there. I think one, one thing that I struggled with Put it, when I wanted to call myself an expert was the kind of who am I statement? Mm, who am yeah. I to tell people what to do? Who am I to write a book? Who am I to have a podcast? Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot. And I don't know. I think I probably must have been said. That's probably a phrase that had been said to me as a child. Who do you think you are? Kind of thing. Yes, and yes. and you, I think you have to understand 
there's a lot of things in, in our narrative that we talk to ourselves that really aren't our own voices and they are the things that are holding us back. But unlike women of color, you have real societal things that are holding you back. So what do you think are success blocks for women of color? What is the main thing that, that I don't know, that they're afraid of, or that is in real tangible success blocks for women of color? Yeah, I think it's, there's a number of different ones, goodness. There's a a representation, it's up there as one of them. And depending on the type of business that they're starting, there's either, you know, gender bias, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if there's a startup, right? And they're looking for funding. I was reading an article on this where Black women were going to startups to try and get funding and they weren't able to get funding from middle-aged white guys. They're like, "Mm, no, they just couldn't get it. It's only, so, so interesting. Only 2% of van- venture capital money goes to women. So you can imagine if only mm-hmm. 2% is going to women, how much of that are white women going after money? So it's got to right. be next to nothing goes nothing. to women of color. Yes. Yeah, exactly. How do we get over? How do women of color get mm-hmm. money, get funding in for entrepreneurs in the venture capital space? I don't know the answer to that. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that either. <laughs> I don't know but there is a um there is a now I can't remember her name there's a lady out there who does exactly this another okay. woman of color who does provide like a space for other women to come to to be able to get access to funding without okay. prejudice right mm-hmm. without them having to feel like oh my goodness we're already going to be turned away just by looking at us like right. it's already a no so there is I know there's some funding options available so going back to your question of the success blockers I think one of the things is almost women almost always standing in their own way and their own belief I can say you know it's down to representation, it's down to this, it's down to, but actually fundamentally at its core, it's that women always, we tend to stand our own way and the belief system is completely broken and thinking that, oh no, I can't do that. I'm not worthy of doing that. No, I can't do that. I'll leave it to someone else. Yeah. And that, if you don't have that at the starting line, there's nothing. (laughs) So when people come to you and they are in that, they, I want to do this, but I'm not sure I can. How do you empower people to do that? Because it's very difficult. I mean, being an entrepreneur is not for the faint of heart. Putting yourself in in a public platform is not for the faint of heart. How do you convince people that they can do it? Mm, I think it's, they have to believe in themselves. They have to say Mm -hmm. yes to themselves. It doesn't matter how many times I say it, Mm -hmm. they've got to believe it and that's normally the point when they're like I know I can do this Mm -hmm. I don't know how or I just feel like I need the support to be able to get that and that's my job Mm -hmm. but they need to have that they have to say yes to themselves Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm going to do this I don't know what it's going to look like but I know that I have a bigger mission ahead of me I know that my work can impact people Mm -hmm. that's when they are ready to kind of take the ball by the horns, <laughs> even though it's scary as hell, right. <laughs> even though they're like petrified and oh my God, what am I doing? But even if you know, you're scared to do this, I really do want you to think about the person that needs you. It comes back to what I said before. Mm-hmm. Our work is bigger than us. Sure. Well, even if you think that, oh, well, I just want to, you know, 
coach people or I just want to consult I just want to do this little project over here and your work at some point will be bigger than you right so hold that true don't let that go don't let that go because that will be the thing that will like literally drag you forward when you feel like oh my god I just want to sit here and like cry Mm -hmm. eat Cheetos (laughs) so one of the bad things about being visible is Mm There will be people who have negative opinions of what you do, whether they're haters or whether they're trolls or whether they're people who are just like, who does she think she is? There will be those people. And one of the Mm -hmm. things about putting yourself out there is you have to be able to tolerate that. So what's your advice for somebody who's just gotten their first negative comment? Or so for me, when I give a speech, I always have a survey form afterwards. And if there's a, if there's 500 people in the room, 499 people will say I'm great. And one person will say she's annoying. And you know what? I don't know why, but that one person who says she's annoying, it, it like, on the scales of justice, it shouldn't weigh the same as the 499, (laughs) but somehow it does. So how do you work with people to say, yes, people will not like you. Yes, that is okay. How do you do that with your clients? I always say to them, well, do you want everyone to, do you want a hundred percent? Yeah. Really? Do you want a hundred percent? Cause someone's straight up lying. Do you really want a hundred percent? Is that what, is that the world that you want to walk through where everyone says, yes, you're amazing. You're great. And no one gives you any feedback mm-hmm. or even possibly negative feedback or, you know, you get your haters, etc. I, in the early stages of my business, I was very much the same. I remember getting a comment. I think it was inside of a Facebook group and someone said something even just slightly like it wasn't like it was feedback. Really, if I think about it, I can't even remember what it was. Mm-hmm. And I crumbled inside but now over time I have gotten better at it Mm -hmm. and feel like I just brush it off thank you Mm -hmm. for your feedback I also think as well that if you do have you know trolls or someone's left a comment that you don't necessarily agree with or you don't like or so you've ruffled someone's feathers or they're starting a conversation actually that's a good thing let's clap that up Mm -hmm. that's a good thing because you actually have something to say that has brought someone's attention. Mm-hmm. Like it, they've actually come around like, actually, I don't believe it. Let's have a conversation about it. That's all good. One of the things that I also find for, ve- for many women of color is that they're actually scared to share their thoughts and opinions. They don't want to, they don't want to come across as the angry black woman. They don't want to actually say the thing that they are really wanting to say so they hold back whether it's in your career working in a corporate or whatever you're like I know that I was that person you know I'd sit there in meetings like oh my god that's not we cannot do that you know just keep my mouth shut I'm sorry I'm just gonna do my work just get on with it but now when you are an entrepreneur or a business owner coach consultant whatever suddenly you have to say what you think and have an opinion, whoo, it's hard. And you put yourself out there and you have to say that. That's where the whole kind of visibility cycle kind of so that's, comes I'm, into it. I'm so glad you said that because it is a societal thing where mm. when women speak up in meetings or speak their mind or have an opinion, when if I say it, I'm aggressive. If you say it, 
you're an angry black woman. And I think that holds so many women back. And I would Mm -hmm. love to know how you think that women can, especially women of color, because you hear that term angry black woman all the time. And Mm -hmm. it's so, it's such a grotesque term. Like Mm -hmm. what, I know that that's what is probably holding people back because they don't want that label. So how Mm -hmm. can women step into their power, women of color step into their power to give their opinion, to be heard, because it Mm -hmm. is important. Oh yeah. I think collectively, if everyone, if we all take those steps, right? I say what I think. I don't care. People come for me, whatever. Let's have the conversation. Let's have the conversation like we are. I think that's where it starts, right? Having the conversation, actually being, allowing yourself to say what's on your mind. You can have a conversation or debate with, and it can get maybe heated, but it's a conversation and a debate. It's not me get. I might be getting angry. I might be getting heated, but it's not an attack on that person. And I think a lot of people think that, oh my God, you're attacking me. I'm not attacking you. I'm mm-hmm. just saying what is in my heart, right? Mm-hmm. And I think once we start, it becomes n- not normalized in some way, right? Normalized for us to just, me and you jamming on this, yeah. sharing your thoughts, I'm sharing mine we can actually collectively move. And then I think that labeling, which is just awful, Mm -hmm. starts to slowly dissipate and starts to just fall. That's my hope that it will fall to the wayside. And I think it's great. Even this weekend, I was at my son's football um, uh, event that was happening. I was talking to some of the mums there. And this is the first time in my life in Australia, actually first time in my life, as monks, a group of other white women, we're having a conversation about race. I have never had that before. Never. It moved on to, um, to gender and uh, non-binary because there was a couple of teachers there as well, how they handled that. I've never had a conversation like that. And it was so liberating. I was like, oh my goodness, like what is going on here? Like, I love this. It was so good. And they were you know, asking me, like, have I experienced racism before? And what's that like? And I was able to share my thought. It was just a conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing heated. Ha- like, it was just, I was like, oh, my God, changes are happening. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's incredible. Well, mm. I think yeah. this conversation, I mean, this conversation that we're having is about visibility on a lot of different levels. Right, right. I just think it's important how do you work with women? If somebody says, I want to start my own coaching practice, I know that I can help people in this area. I just don't know exactly how to get myself out there. How do they come to you and how do you work with them? Mm, Yes. So at the very beginning, we don't look necessarily like at the visibility part, but Mm. there's always ways in which I'm slowly trying to get them more confident and stepping into that because it's a gradual process. Starts at the very beginning with actually what their own goals are, what they want to get to, what do they want to do? And then from there, we can start looking at who is it that they want to serve? I've found that most of the problems that my clients have at the very beginning, so scared to be visible, scared to put themselves out there, comes down to confidence and actually understanding who they are talking to. Yep. Yeah, right? Like once they understand who they are speaking to, 
it completely changes the conversation, completely changes their own headspace. Then they feel like, oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. I can do this. Then the belief comes into it, Mm -hmm. right? The belief and the confidence to actually stand up for that person, that group, that audience is there because they know they exist. So once they do that, then I start doing getting them to do small things inside of my Facebook group. My program's called Nine to Five to Freedom. And inside of there, inside of our Facebook group, I tell them, share with me what's going on. I want you to do a live, do a live inside of the group. Do mm-hmm. a live even if you're testing it and you're putting your makeup on. I don't care. I want you to find ways and just being more comfortable. So mm-hmm. you can be more visible, be visible amongst this small group sisterhood here, right? Of women who are just like you doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Show us, tell us something that you're thinking of. To, to do a video whilst you're walking. And then when they get to that point where they're ready to start sharing their business or feel more confident with it, they're not coming out completely raw and shaking or anything like that. They're yeah. coming at it from a completely different place. So I constantly get them to do little things and little tasks and little visibility opportunities to help them start stepping into that and to step into their power Mm -hmm. and to step into their greatness. And I think what you're offering is something that I talk about a lot in networking is you're offering the people in the Facebook group and the people who are taking your course, a peer group. Mm. And, and it is very important just like everything else uh, with representation and visibility and understanding, it's very important to have people who are going through a similar experience as you. So you may all be launching different coaching practices and serving different people, but the shared experience of, of starting that company and going through all of the same feelings of, am I doing this right? Is this the right thing? Am I as successful as I should be? Like, that's that's invaluable that you provide a peer group for people while they are learning. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Almost all of my clients have said that all of them have said the biggest thing that they love about the program, yes, working with me, getting where they want to, etc., is the community. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. They love the community and sisterhood. And the how the program is set up is specifically for women of color. So how can people find you? Yeah, sure. You can find me over at janetcafadar.com. And you can also find my podcast, The Truth About Show, where I share the truths about running a coaching business that actually no one really talks about. So you can find me there. It's not a strategy show. It's not a five steps to blah, 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 Instagram followers. No, it's actually how do I manage my day job and my coaching business? Yeah. Things like that. Mm-hmm. How to spot my, my clients. Like all of the things that you really just <laughs> wish someone had told you. Yeah. If there's a checklist for, there's a go, no go on clients. That is important because right. rather have yeah. no clients than bad clients. Yes, uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So like things like that and just con- real, real conversations that I wish that someone had told yeah. me. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. All right. I'm going to put links to the podcast, to your website in the show notes. They can check you out. I think you have some free offerings on the website as well. They can do in advance to get a taste of what it's like to work with you. But thank you so much for being here. I loved this conversation. It was great. Thank you so much, Julie. I really appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Bye. 
When I was growing up, I would hear people say, I don't see color when I see people. And I used to think that was a really nice thing to say. I've since learned how detrimental it is to not see color. Without recognizing someone's color, I cannot begin to understand where they come from, what systematic issues they face on a daily basis, or what I could learn from them. Listening to Janet's story and her feelings of recently being seen should teach us all a lesson about why we need to have these conversations, why visibility is important, and why it is so difficult for so many. A 2013 study conducted by the Clayman Institute of Gender Research at Stanford University showed that the women in the study were keenly aware of the rewards of visibility. They knew that being noticed, for example, by interjecting during meetings and taking credit for accomplishments, was a conventional strategy for professional advancement, and still many women consciously rejected that strategy. Instead, they opted for risk-averse, conflict-avoidant strategies within the office. Women employed this intentional invisibility when they avoided conflict with colleagues, softened their assertiveness with niceness, and just got stuff done by quietly moving things forward without drawing attention to themselves. The consequence of this approach was that they often ended up feeling well-liked, but underappreciated. Why did the women choose this approach? The study identified three motivators. One, to avoid conflict or backlash, meaning they were aware of gender bias in the workplace and used intentional invisibility to limit their exposure to it. Two, to feel authentic at work, meaning being highly visible at work felt awkward because other women were not doing it. And three, to balance professional and personal demands, meaning staying invisible at work gave women more time and energy to fulfill their obligations at home. I don't have all the answers. I know what it's like to struggle with visibility, with how much my face and my voice are out there for the masses to critique. But like Janet said, I have to put that shit aside because I also know that the work I do helps people, that you listen to this podcast because you get something out of it, that when I stand on a stage and deliver a keynote, no matter how worried I am about what I look like, someone in that audience needs to hear what I have to say because it will change their career. This is why we have to keep doing it. This is why we have to be visible. We need to change the narrative. And by narrative, I mean the literal narrative. A study found that in U.S. textbooks, a man's name on average appears every four pages. Women, however, are only mentioned every 250 pages. It's time to write a different story. To turn the tables on the subject a little bit, I found a cocktail this week called The Invisible Man. Here's what you're going to need. Two ounces of gin, a half an ounce of brandy, a half an ounce of triple sec, three ounces of ginger ale, and a dash of orange juice. Actually, it says two dashes of orange juice. Um, What you're going to do is add triple sec, brandy, gin, and orange juice to a highball glass filled with ice. You're going to just stir that a little bit and then just fill it with that three ounces of ginger ale. That's it. That's all you need to make men invisible, apparently. (laughs) That's all for this week. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. And if you have any topics that you would like me to research and discuss, please reach out to me and let me know. I'd love to hear your ideas. Until next week, cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. 
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works. Thank you.